Welcome to your Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. All right, uh, we're just waiting on Elliot. He's not here yet. Oh, I just got a text from him. Uh, running late, paid a man to administer electric shocks to my genitals. Um, oh, oh, and there he is, he's on. Okay, perfect. Hey, hey man, you ready to start talking? Ready to record? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, this is a fun. This is a fun, fun little tidbit. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the exit polls from 2020. Now, of course, before we get into how gay people voted in this previous election, what's five, six weeks ago, uh, we, you know, as always is the case with exit polls. There's sort of a big caveat that they can be a little, you know, they are what social scientists use to, to kind of gauge the sentiment of the voting population, but they're still kind of imperfect, so to speak. And this year, they're a little bit more imperfect than usual because uh, the normal way that uh, the social scientists interview thousands of people while they're leaving uh, the polling stations, and they weren't able to do that is successfully this year. And they did a lot of contacting people who uh, they didn't know had assumed they had voted, but didn't know if, for sure that they had. So anyway, all that is to say, exit polls have a bit of a, a caveat this year. But with that said, I will tell you that the results, we found out how LGBT voted, uh, LGBT, LGBT people voted this year, and it might surprise you. Uh, exit polls show that 64% of self-identified LGBT people voted for Joe Biden, 27% voted for Donald Trump. And how does that compare uh, with 2016? Exit polls from that year showed that 78% voted for Hillary Clinton, 14% voted for Donald Trump. So if we are to believe these numbers, that means Donald Trump doubled his margins with gay voters this mm. year. And I also went back, I found on the New York Times exit polls uh, from going all the way back to 1992 when they started actually ask, like including us in exit polling. And uh, 2020 was our, just barely our worst year ever, or our most Republican oh. year ever. How was so that what possible? It, you know, it's, 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 I've wondered the same thing. I mean, obviously, you know, to be fair, it's, it's still a strongly democratic sure. voting demographic, mm -hmm. but like, um, you know, uh, Alan has made this point before, you know, Trump, I, I, I guess in theory, wasn't bomb, like it, in his words, wasn't bombastically anti-gay. I mean, his actions yeah. said otherwise, but maybe some, I also think, uh, the high watermark for gay people voting democratic was 2016, and so mm -hmm. it's possible that like gay people had some sort of like which makes me so proud. Yeah, that it was the yeah. year of the woman, and that gay yeah. people came out for the year of the woman. That makes me proud. Yes, I, yeah, I, I have a I have a similar sentiment where I yeah, I think maybe there was some yeah. kind of like maternal sentiment that we had towards Hillary, and we mm -hmm. all kind of supported her in larger margins than ever. Um, you know, the our Republican shift this year is still sort of within a standard deviation of how we mm -hmm. normally vote. So I don't I don't think I hope not. It's not a uh, a precursor to us shifting more to the center, but it's also possible. The mm -hmm. other thing I'll say is that, you know, with sort of gay marriage, you know, largely off the table, uh, we just won a Supreme court case with a conservative court, uh, in, in, uh, 2020, uh, Bostock, the Bostock Supreme court decision that gave us, um, <clears throat> uh, 
equal protection in workplaces. Uh, it's possible that gay people are getting a little lazy or they see a lot of these, you know, contentious social issues sort of off the table and they're not as concerned as they used to be. <clears throat> I actually, I, I think I've been, I was thinking about this a lot these past few days. I think it actually like kind of comes down to the root of this podcast in a way that we get annoyed by sort of that, the ornery, um, arrogant behavior of some queer people in our community who will just do anything just to be contrarian or to stand out or to whatever to get attention. And I think in a lot of ways, the tilt that, I mean, at least in the Republican, gay Republicans or gay people that have voted for Republican and voted for Trump in the past that I've interviewed and talked with and know that it really is based in being contrarian. It's mm. based in being sort of going against the grain and sort of pissing off the quote unquote norm of queer sensibilities. And it's really all about attention. It's all about that idea <laughs> of I'm going to, I'm going to piss off a lot of people if I do this. So I'm going to do this and be loud and obnoxious about it. Yeah. And it's not even rooted in any real political thought other than pissing people off. And even, even it has nothing the to do with marriage. Booth. It has nothing to do with the... Even the privacy of a voting booth, like, to do it just so you add to the numbers, it's... Well, because you get, I mean, you pass, you pass by the Trump people in, like, we were just driving through Beverly Hills the other day, and there's been all, every <laughs> single day, there's been these massive Trump rallies, and... The thing is, none of those people live no, in Beverly Hills. No none of those mm-hmm. people live in Los Angeles County for that most. They probably come from Orange County into Los Angeles yes. just to cause – to make people angry, grief. to get a reaction out grief. of people. To cause grief. And it's the same It's the same sort of sentiment. So in a weird way, it's – I'm not surprised by these numbers because I think it's indicative of the culture – that we're in right now, that we really are a culture of just pissing people off for the sake of pissing people off. It's so true. And it's so annoying. And you, you would hope and think that queer people could sidestep the nonsense and sidestep this bizarre uh, new world in which being a contrarian, not even necessarily being a bully, but being a contrarian of some kind and like throwing people off their game or, or, you know, just bucking the trend like you you would think i mean i would think maybe naively that like most queer people would not give in to such silly and petty uh uh behavior and yet i'm looking at the numbers that brent posted and that's 64% for biden is like that's that's, that's below two thirds. And and if you if he's you really, just not a daddy, if, he's not yeah. a daddy. I mean, also let's let's not forget that includes LGL people as well. Women tend to be more liberal than men almost always. So that means uh, that lesbians probably voted a higher percentage uh, Democrat mm-hmm. than gay men. So that so if you know, obviously we don't have these numbers, but gay men probably voted less Democratic than that. I bet they were closer to sixty yeah. forty. That would be my guess. Uh, no, uh, no, I mean, not, maybe I not mean, sixty forty, but but they were probably closer to sixty percent Democratic. Yeah, I hate um, to say I'm not surprised, but that but it does the, the the idea that it's more men does not surprise me. That at the rate at the root of it, even if you're queer or whatever you are, the ma- a man is technically more likely to, you know, bend toward Trump. That's, I'm not, mm. I'm not surprised, you know, sexuality. Be well, but even within the community, you look at like organizations like human rights campaign and human rights campaign, 
if you talk to many, you know, very liberal members of the queer community, they would think, oh, well, that's a moderate organization. It's not even a liberal organization, even though it's a gay <clears throat> LGBTQ organization. Right. It's been accused of uh, uh, just sort of just being sort of ignorant to the idea of more inclusiveness of people of color, of women, of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I do agree. I mean, I remember a couple years ago when the House was pushing by some sort of LGBTQ rights bill and they took off trans people from it because it was the only way to get it passed was to just have it be LGB. This was back in the late, I guess, 2009. And it pissed me off with human rights campaigns. I was like, you can't just for the sake of your own benefit, just drop trans people just because it's not politically beneficial for you. Like, Sure, you might come yeah. around and do it in the future, but it's like, no, stick with them now. You've, you've been sticking with them. Stick with them now. And that always sort of rang true to me. And I think that's kind of also where we are with even just organizationally amongst queer people. You know what I mean? That we like, we don't even think the human rights campaign is a liberal organization. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But with yeah. that said, so this was kind of lar- largely within the larger exit polls uh, showed Trump doing better with huge swaths of the population. Uh, Emerson Research is the company that created the exit polls. You can find them on New York Times. You can find them almost anywhere. And one of my favorite little tidbits is that between 2016 and 2020, Trump improved his margins. That is, he received a higher percentage of the vote. Um, uh, or he, or he, I should say, he defeated Biden by a larger percentage uh, then he defeated Hillary, Hillary Clinton with the following demographics, white women, black men, black women, Latino men, and Latino women. And if you noticed, I excluded one group, the one group in which Donald Trump uh, actually had a decreased percentage of the vote from and won them by a much smaller margin than in 2016 was white men. White men shifted mm. significantly more Democratic, from 31% for Hillary Clinton in 2016 to 38% for Joe Biden in 2020. And that's a, that's a huge shift for a very conservative yeah. group. So as much as the Internet mm-hmm. might, might, might not want to admit it, white men helped tip the scales this year. <clears throat> Which is great. Not on my yeah. watch. Hey, I'll take it. Watch. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Insert. Yeah. In- there are some good how, eggs out how there. How dare you? Not even joking. So our guest today, it's been a long time coming. And when we set this up, I have to say, I these two beautiful women have been my dream guests for since we started. I mean, it's just, it's been so long. Jinx Monsoon and Ben Della Krim. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey. Thanks for having us. Jinx and Dela. Uh, yeah. Thank I you so much can't. for doing the podcast. The dream is I, mutual. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say we've been, we've been trying to get this for a while and you guys are like, I was telling, you know, Michael about it, that you guys are like the epitome of what I want to be doing in drag so i'm so honored that you guys are here doing this like it's i'm just thrilled i'm just so we'll see how you feel about that in an hour (laughs) (laughs) don't meet your heroes kid (laughs) (laughs) well and you guys are here because you're promoting your holiday special which is so exciting 
Yeah, no, we're really, um, yeah, we've been, it's been a, a month of, uh, of press days. Yeah. I'm in my basement right now. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like a press junket in the least glamorous circumstances. Wait, I'm possible. impressed you have a basement. Yeah. That is like a yeah. big deal. Like that, that means Especially, you're like the most successful person I know. <laughs> thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. You know, we hey, moved I to have LA. A basement. <laughs> well, you live in Portland. Ba- basements are a dime. I mean, Portland basically is a basement. But oh, in, right. <laughs> you know, we moved to LA March 1st and then we've been quarantined yeah. since the 14th. So that was a really fun move. But, um, um, wow. But w- one of the big selling points for we were searching and we found this place. It was the basement. And I was like, OK, if I can have a studio downstairs and my partner and I will not kill each other. And this is yeah. like, mm-hmm. so yeah. the mm-hmm. big sell. Yeah. yeah. Wait, that's, that's so amazing. Wonderful. You move you moved to L.A. on March 1st. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That, what, what was that like? I mean, because like that was, you know, obviously I, I still obviously looking back, we've talked about this a bunch, but like until the day before everything shut down, I was saying nothing's going to shut down. Fuck off, you know, and then like everything shut down. What was it like to like show up at this new place and then spend nine months in a, in a closet in a basement? Well, it was crazy because also, you know, my my partner and I, we've been together over five years, but we never moved in together in Seattle because I was on the road. We lived like two blocks away from each other. It just like was never yeah. never made sense and so when we moved here it was like okay great we're finally gonna have a place together so moving in with your partner of five years for the first time is intense enough but then we can never leave the same oh my god that really puts you to the test but yeah so we moved um on the first and then i immediately threw to sam uh, flew to san francisco where jinx and i were doing a show with peaches christ (laughs) <laughs> and the day it got canceled, we were all like sitting around being like, oh, my God, we've been building these careers our entire life. And now we're going to all have to learn how to be, I don't know, what do, what do yeah. people do who aren't drag YouTube queens? stars. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean. Cameo stars. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting Same. to watch that. Um, and obviously you guys can speak to this. But like drag queens, especially iconic ones like you and other ones from Drag Race have been finding ways to uh make a living in the econ in, in this bizarre economy and i and as comedians we've done a similar thing and and essentially figured out how to do it but for the <clears> most <throat> part like you know drag more than like stand up comedy is allowed the, the art form is allowed to be broader and so i wonder what is what has it been like to essentially maintain your careers on online in this age of COVID and in this insane time? Well, I think um, I really got to give my credit to our audiences and our fan base who kind of, you know, like when, so I had my entire year booked, you know, um, when, when you work more in theater and when you do tours, you know, you got to, you got to book everything well in advance to sell the tickets before you arrive, you know. So my whole year was booked. And then just just like that, the whole year was gone. And um, <laughs> it was yeah. jarring and unsettling. But um, I have a really great team of people who I work with. And we kind of just said, okay, let's waste no time. Let's just snap into a, a, a new way of doing things. So, you know, like now the year's almost over and I've just started a Patreon and like I'm posting more to YouTube and doing more digital content. And obviously Dale and I worked on this film, which took up a big chunk of the year. Um, but I really like, I give the credit to 
my audience and my fan base that I've been able to stay viable and um, productive um, mm-hmm. in a in a medium that's always been there for me. But I've just always chosen live entertainment, and I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of let um, digital stuff be on the back burner for a long time. So right, and it's forced you to or reckon you had to reckon with actually like engaging in it, engaging with it in a way that you probably never would have before. Yeah, because for me, like for me, the whole reason I started doing drag is it gave me another way to get on stage. You know, I've I've um, been training since I was like 10 to be an actor, singer, <laughs> dancer, <laughs> asshole, you know. And and then when I discovered drag, like not only did it speak to me as a trans femme person, but it also, you know, it also was like, here's another way for me to get on stage. So for me, drag was always about live entertainment and always about being on stage in front of an audience. And I got to say, you know, it is a very different arena when you are delivering your jokes to a computer screen oh my God. by yes. yourself. We know. And there's no laughter and you sit there and your mind immediately goes, was that joke any good? Was it right. inappropriate? Yeah. Like, and then you have to wait for the comments to go up. To, oh, like, oh boy! And, and you're like, you're like focused on like one dumbass's face. Like, I, yeah. I always do that where I'm like looking at one dumbass and I'm like, oh great, this this guy hates me, and of course or I there, have to watch him the whole time. And you there can are ask those Gayla. shows where they they <laughs> encourage the people to do the applaud thing on Zoom, uh, the uh, applaud emoji. Say, I'm. You can ask Dela, but in live shows, I I also focus on the one on the one person. <laughs> yeah. well, having a good time. See, who who hates me? Who hates it's, me here? I feel like normally I get to yell at crowd. them. You know, <laughs> normally I get to say, "Hey, you! Why aren't you having fun?" <laughs> Wait, Dela, which I'll tell you, you really wins them over right away. Uh-huh. <laughs> they love it. People love being singled out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys is. I mean, you guys really have turned. I mean, when we when we watched the holiday special, we saw it last year live. Live here in Los Angeles. Yeah, which was amazing. And thank you so much for that. Wonderful. But seeing what you guys did, especially, Della, you directed it, right? I did, yeah. Oh, wow. Which is just like, it was so impressive. The the production value, the quality, the story. I mean, everything about it. And the fact that it wasn't done here in LA. It really shows like what you can do with with talent and and gumption and just a lot of hard work. And you guys really did. I was so impressed by it. Well, you know, I'm so glad that we did decide to to film it in Seattle because when Jinx and I, well, the, there were many like steps along this weird road to deciding that we were going to do this ambitious, ill-advised project, but I'm really glad we did it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, I'm so glad we decided to do it in Seattle because it really, that's the community that supported Jinx and I for a very long time, even though neither of us currently have an address there. But, um, you know, you see, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a film that's about you know I mean it's a comedy it's it's silly but it's at the heart of it really about the idea of chosen family and the people who are in the film and the people who worked on the film truly are those people for us you know they're they're our community that we've worked with for many many years and so not only do I think we were able to accomplish this sort of crazy feat in a short period of time um, because of the passion and support of those people. But I also think that that relationship really uh, informed what the what the special feels like. Yeah, it has a very, I mean, if I may, it has a very, like, peewee, kind, peewee mm-hmm. Herman kind of uh, tone to it that's just so truly just, it's very unique. Like, it, it just feels very uniquely, yeah. like, 
sophist- I don't know why I'm using this word, but it, it does feels feel very drag, but like new. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? It, it's it's very rooted in drag, but it's so new and modern too. I, let me clarify what Elliot means when he says Pee Wee. He means I would masturbate in a theater to that to that movie. <laughs> yeah. I would I would yeah. be open to yeah. that. So <laughs> thank you. Really truly the no, highest well, compliment. I mean, Elliot I mean, would be the guy I, Jinx is yelling at. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pee Wee's always been sort of one of my drag idols. I mean, people yeah. sort of ask me who most influenced my drag and I have to say that I think like Paul Rubin's character work is some of the you know I mean that's right up there with Coco Peru and Varla Jean Merman mm-hmm. and Lady Bunny mm-hmm. and Elvira they're like they're all sort of the same vibe and so I I love that that came across because it's a huge influence for me yeah I knew there was going to be a lot of peewee influence going into it um with Dela directing and being the head producer but I had one of my favorite moments was it was our second to last day of filming and um I can't even remember how it came about but I said something like oh that kind of makes it like you're I'm Ren and you're Stimpy and Dela said look around Jinx this entire thing was Ren and Stimpy you know like, <laughs> so there's a lot of peewee but I also um I also I mean there's so many there's so many references in it and that's what I've always thought drag is is kind of like taking being a reference artist to a professional level, like professionally referencing things. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, and like, Jinx, you also, I mean, Elliot and I are two Jews that are very into the holidays, and I know you also (laughs) are a Jew in sort of into, well, you're in a holiday special, so that would mean you're into the holidays. Like, what? why do you think Jews love Christmas so much? Well, I should clarify that, um, you know, I was raised Catholic. I have Jewish heritage. I was raised Catholic. And like most um, people with Jewish heritage who were raised Catholic, I'm now a practicing witch. So so I really have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Um, But I can say as a a nihilistic um, person, I love the holidays because um, I feel like I feel like the holidays are when the entire world behaves like drag queens. You know, like we we dress up differently and everyone leans into this like oh performative God, so aspect. True. So true. Of, <laughs> they put their trees in drag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, like a lot of uh, like Halloween and Christmas don't really seem that different to me in that regard yeah. because I feel like it's when the rest of the world gets to get into drag and and it's like welcome to my arena you're in my house now so <laughs> <laughs> I always say that, like, you know, Jews don't care, care about, like, Jesus or anything, but, like, gay Jews, we really love a good pageant. Like, I love the pageantry of it. You know what I mean? And Let's I love the real, food. Though, how many Christians really care about Jesus stuff anyway? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. I mean, and it's all, it's all based on paganism anyway. I mean, the, uh, like, the way right. that they got pagans to convert was by stealing their rituals and adding it to the Christian faith and being like, you like trees? We got trees. You like reeds? We got reeds. Uh, instead of Saturnalia, what if we call it, I don't know, Christmas? Yeah. Am I selling you on this? You know. Hey, but let's be careful, guys. We have a very hard right listenership, so let's be careful <laughs> what we say about Christmas on the podcast. Uh, it's actually tread lightly. It's been hard for me to get into the spirit. I felt this about Halloween. I'm feeling this about Christmas again, where I'm just like, just everything's been, you know, it's been such a 
frustrating year. It's like hard to get into the spirit. Like I'm home in my hometown. I'm at, I'm quarantining in a hotel to so I could see my family. And like they just called me to show me the tree. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> like I just can't like get into the spirit. Are that's you guys typically that your too? response. That's definitely yes, that how you would true. normally respond, though, Brent. Let's that be real. <laughs> I also found out in the middle of the FaceTime, my mom said, oh, you called us. I said, no, I didn't. You called me. And they had no idea they had called me on oh, FaceTime. No. So I was like, oh, all right, no. guys, I literally don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> but are you guys feeling that way about Christmas? Are, are, am I the only one? I mean, for me, we've, you know, I've spent the last 14 years on stage for Christmas. That's been my celebration. And that's been, you know, and partially that came out of like, any excuse not to go home for Christmas anymore. And so that was like a big (laughs) reason to do that. But that's, um, that's really thrown me this year is the idea that, you know, we won't be with an audience because that has, you know, like I said, the people in the film really are like family. I mean, these are people I've spent Christmas on stage with for many, many years. And um, and so, yeah, it's like without that, I kind of don't, I don't know what it is. I'm glad yeah. we made a film. I guess I'll watch it on you Christmas. You'll watch it. You'll watch it a bunch on <laughs> yeah. Christmas. Well, d- wait, do you mind me asking? Why do you, why do you avoid going home for Christmas? I mean, it's not so much avoidance at this point. It's like, um, it's like, who are those people? But it's more mm-hmm. like, you know, when it started, it was really just, um, you know, I grew up in Connecticut. There's a lot of actually sort of autobiographical details in this film, but I grew up in Connecticut in a very like hallmarky winter wonderland kind of setting, um, you know, and the, the big family all gets together, all does the big dinner, too many presents, literally carols around the tree. Like who does yeah. that? We did yeah. that. <laughs> and, um, but it was so empty. You know, it was like nobody mm-hmm. talking about anything for real because nobody actually gets along. And, you know, presents are all sort of that sort of weird um, manipulation tactic where it's like, <laughs> I, I have a line in the film that is an actual true thing. Every year I got stacks of blank thank you cards as gifts because gifts <laughs> are just a, they're just somebody's way of having you owe them. And that's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so, you know, and I think that that is a lot of... Really funny. I mean, I think that's that's sort of a weirdly common Christmas experience of it being just sort mm-hmm. of like the fanfare with no real emotion behind it. And so I was just like, get me out of here. Let me hang out with some like queer stripper weirdos. That's who yeah. I am. Yeah. Did you move yeah. to well, Seattle I mean, straight thing- from, from Connecticut? I didn't. I went from Connecticut to Boston for a little while, and then I went to school in Chicago, and then Seattle, and then, and then here we are in LA. Just where wandering. in Chicago did you go to school? I went to the school, the Art Institute. I actually, so, I, oh. I studied fine arts. I didn't. I never studied performance. So um, I went to DePaul University. Oh, you did. Oh, Clipper, Clipper. Yes. Yes. And yeah, yeah. So we were near each other. Hated every minute of it. Every minute of it. It was a big waste of time. But wait. So I do have to say, like, you guys not being doing your live shows this year, you are avoiding one thing that I can only think would be a blessing some of the annoying questions that you get asked all the time at meet and greets. And I am always eager to know what are your favorite, most annoying questions that you get asked <laughs> at meet and greets. I love finding out that. Oh, I don't I feel like I just block them all out of my brain. <laughs> um, I, uh, 
You know, it's it, it's not even so much that the question's annoying and, and the audience members are lovely. And anyone who's willing to spend the extra money just to meet us, it's like, um, I'm not going to talk bad about them. Mm-hmm. But, True. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, you're nicer but than I, we are. <laughs> but what, what what's difficult about the meet and greet has nothing to do with the people asking the questions. It's the fact that, you know, I've been doing this for eight years now since my season of Drag Race. And so there's like really few questions that I can be asked that I haven't been asked a hundred times before. So it's kind of like someone asks uh, a question like, what's RuPaul really like? Or Mm -hmm. um, was Roxy Andrews really that mean? And my brain goes, and I just like, (laughs) (laughs) I snap into like the rehearsed response, you know, like Roxy and I are Mm -hmm. sisters now, smile for the camera, you Uh. know, (laughs) and it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, and, uh, but I, what I will say, what I will say, the, the most trying moments are when a person asks you a question you've been asked a million times before. And then you look them in the eyes and you do everything you can to sum up, uh, summon up authenticity and a, a genuine moment. And you give them the answer. And then they look at you and say, you hate this, don't you? Uh, and I'm like, oh my I'm God. like don't wow. press me. Don't press me for truth right now. I am right. giving you the approved response right. to the question you asked, and I am doing everything I can to make this experience good for you. Just take it, you know? Right. <laughs> right. I find that I get fewer questions than just statements. People really love to quote a drag race queen at themselves. Oh, yeah. People oh, love oh, to wow. just walk up and tell and say, water off a duck's back to Jinx, or come up to me and say, we originated the language. And it's, you know, it's really, that's... But you know, I've got to I've got to empathize because um, I I was doing um, that um, Andy Cohen show, Watch What Happens Live, and I was um, a bartender with two other queens, and I was standing five feet behind Whoopi Goldberg, and <laughs> I'm looking at the back of Whoopi Goldberg's head, and it took every ounce of strength not to just scream her name right. at her. You know, like, <laughs> Whoopi! Whoopi! <laughs> So I can empathize, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you I imagine say, people Ellie? must like, I'm sorry, Elliot, go ahead. I was going to ask, like, do people, Dela, do people ask you all the yeah. time about the self-elimination on All Stars? Oh my gosh, yes, of course they do. But I, um, but I, I clearly just blocked that out. It's actually right. like a repressed memory that people ask me about <laughs> that all the time. Yeah, and it's like I don't even understand the question anymore. It's become so abstract. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I've said everything there is to be <laughs> said. It's like, did the producers put you up to it? Did this happen? Like, why did you? You know, like mm-hmm. like I had money on you. I'm like, well, I'm I give up a hundred thousand dollars. I'm sorry about your here's, twenty bucks. But yeah, right. what's great about that? What's great about that is that of everybody in the world, of everybody in the drag race fandom, that person in that moment thinks that for some reason you're gonna give them the bombshell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. response. <laughs> yeah. You know, something they've like never Like the, no the smoking heard. gun comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Everything you can find on Google is a lie, but you're going to get this nugget of truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember at like, I don't know if it was at your show or if it was at DragCon or where, but I saw people walking around with the lipsticks, like I guess for you to sign or something. And oh, I was yes. just like, oh my God, how dare they just ruin a lipstick like how that? Oh, no, people they? love to show up with a lipstick and a 
whiteout and uh, you know and they've written their name and they've written my name and they've written RuPaul's name and they've written their friend's name and can you make oh a video for their friend with my friend's name on the lipstick and blah, 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 blah. oh yeah <laughs> wait so and, as you've gone I'm um, go, sorry go ahead Jinx oh I was just I mean like it, it, it it's not all of that that's that's difficult you know like I mean I I like I said you know like we can get through it because these are the people who support us but um one thing I think um no one understands is drag is painful it is physically taxing mm-hmm. so you um this is such an obscure reference but you know like when mystique is in in human form i'm sorry i'm an x-men nerd but when mystique in, is in human form she's like using 50 percent of her power just to maintain the form so when someone's like wanting me to like give them extra extra stuff when i'm just using all of my strength to keep myself upright in a in a girdle and stilettos you know i'm like please do, please don't rock the foundation here right now yeah, and this seriously. is coming off stage after two hours and we're, we've been pounding our foot bones into these stripper heels for two hours mm-hmm. and now suddenly we you know have to no it, i don't know it, engage it, with whatever there's something about the spine like if you have to like stand up straight for a long period of time i'm just exhausted i had like last thursday i had like four meetings in a day and so i had to like you know spend cumulative three hours on zoom and literally i went to bed at like nine that night because i was just exhausted it was like the longest day of the pandemic for me and yeah there's like going to work is hard you know Standing yeah. up and wearing heels and shit. I mean, but seeing these two, like, I'm God, that's one thing I noticed from the live show last year. You guys really do. You're not joking. You really do wear stripper heels. I mean, that is brave. <laughs> I can barely wear like little chunky heels. You, you guys know, are I like full on out stripper ones. I don't even know how to walk in them. It's like that. It's there's something <laughs> about that like six inch heel with like the two inch platform. And the whole thing is fused into one shape, and then your like pantyhose foot just like fuses into a Barbie foot. <laughs> Or a Miss Piggy hoof kind of idea, and it's yeah, like there's something yeah. feels stable, like a bound. Yeah, my foot's foot, the Miss yeah. Piggy. Yeah, my foot's Miss yeah, Piggy. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll never understand. I'll never, ever, ever be able to wrap my head around watching queens and women uh, dance in heels. I, I will literally <laughs> never. I will never be able to physically understand Bang. how that happens because. Your whole body is is on a is on like a stiletto. Th- I can't wrap my head around it, and I just well, I'm a, constantly just in awe of it when I see it on Drag Race and on like the Pussycat Dolls or whatever. There's a lot of reasons not to understand Jinx and I when we dance. That's like I I've always said like there's just so many things about drag where it's like yeah it's difficult but what's the alternative you know not be mm-hmm. this like goddess that I've had in my head since I was five years old you know right I right, feel like. Right. Mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm in Jinx form, <laughs> I'm gonna just keep using the Mystique reference. But when I'm in <laughs> Jinx form, it's like it's the culmination of every fantasy I've had since I was a child. And what that is is like you know it's like Bette Midler's brassiness and Peg Bundy's mm-hmm. hair and mm-hmm. like um, Peg Bundy's wardrobe and Peg Bundy's voice. No, um, <laughs> there's a lot of Peg Bundy in there. But um, you know it's like. It, 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 for me, being in character 
happens naturally because I have all of those elements in place. So it's kind of like, how do you dance in heels? Because I have no other choice. You know, <laughs> like, how do you wipe your yeah. ass with, with press on nails? You know what? Who scoops their ass with their nails <laughs> when they're wiping? <laughs> right. That's my favorite question. How do you wipe your ass with nails on? Or how do you jack off with nails on? And I'm like, it's because I'm not using my nails to wipe yeah, my not, ass otherwise. You know? But the reality is that much crotch. like now, Jinx is the one who actually brings up these topics. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Question. How, did, how yeah. did you guys, uh, um, in finding each other in Seattle, um, did you each have, uh, in terms of finding each other as friends, but also in the scene, did you both have something um, that would have been considered more alternative to the drag scene? Or is that more natural in Seattle? Is that like a Pacific Northwest thing to be, you know, to have this sort of like artsy sheen about you? I think Seattle's a pretty unique breeding ground for for artists. You know, um, neither Jinx nor I was really performing in or connected to anything that you might call like a drag scene. I really was performing primarily in like cabarets with like musicians and dancers and a lot of uh, burlesque shows. And uh, and Jinx was really, you know, predominantly in the the theater world when we found each other. Yeah, I am. So I started drag in Portland, Oregon. Um, at 15 and I did the, the Portland drag circuit where I was, you know, I did the whole crawling on my hands and knees (laughs) through the, (laughs) through the drag bars and the, and the gay clubs and, um, you know, uh, (laughs) did you like it or did it, I did like it. Yeah. I, I feel like I learned so much. It was not, you know, like what I wanted to be doing was theater drag. And and the queens that I looked up to the most were the queens who created theater pieces for themselves um, and performed like a very specific character they had created. So that's what I was always aspiring to. But I learned so much about drag at all by doing the bar circuit and and I I think that's kind of if I have any like critiques of where we are um, with drag now that it's been mainstreamed and popularized um, different differently than when I was a you know a teenage drag queen is that I see a lot of these queens who go directly from doing drag at home to getting on television or um you know, and nothing against them. You know, I, I think that's the mark of progress, you know, that like you don't have to go through years and years of being demeaned and humiliated and, and being paid 20 bucks for f- five hours of work. You know, like mm. it's uh, it's a mark of progress that queens are able to go from you know, doing makeup in their bedroom to getting on television and then being a celebrated artist. Um, but it also means that they're missing out on what I think was a, a pretty integral and crucial part of shaping me as an artist and and preparing me for what the world of live entertainment is really like. You know, like <laughs> it's it's a freaking dog eat dog world and you have to you have to have your guard up at all times and you have to learn how to smile while you're assessing whether this person's <clears throat> trustworthy or not you know you have to yeah for sure it's it's a yeah. lot and i feel bad for the queens who haven't had that that like real world experience and then go on tv and then kind of get um 
processed into the 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 new age of of the drag industry, you know, yeah. they kind yeah, of just right. processed into it. Processed um, into a slurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. In, you know, yeah. actually, can I ask you a question? Because I, I believe, Jinx, I was watching an interview, and correct me if I'm wrong, you said that you used to go to your grandma's house when you were much younger, and, like, you would get dropped off, your mom was like, oh, you're going to have a great weekend hanging out with grandma, and you would, you would dress and drag with your grandma, right? And she would, like, yeah. give you tips about, like, I thought that was very... <laughs> cool and like novel and you know it's certainly atypical for someone of that generation yeah i mean um my whole family has been um you know there have been rough moments but like i've had a pretty ideal experience as a queer person in regards to my blood family and um you know my mom and i had a lot of difficulty in my teenage years and we butted heads a lot and Mm -hmm. i remember you know being most nervous to tell my mother um, about being a drag queen. But my grandma and I were like inseparable. My aunt and I were inseparable. And they knew years before my mom knew that I started doing drag. So I would store all my drag at my grandmother's house. And yes, mm-hmm. very much like imply to my mom that I was going to have a quiet little weekend at home. <laughs> and then I'd get into drag and ride my bike downtown and work at nightclubs and lie about my age and work in drag bars and stuff. And some of that I also kept from my grandma, but essentially, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. my, my grandma was the person I checked in with um, mm-hmm. before I left for the club. And she gave me tips on whether my hair looked too ratty for the number I was trying to sure. do. <laughs> and then, um, mm-hmm. you know, then I'd come home at 4 a.m. and, gently wake her up and let her know I was home safely and then right. you know, go to bed. You would drive you would That's drive and drag on a bike? Not all the time, but lots of the time, yeah. Um, wow. Just because I hope you weren't sometimes. corseted. Were you corseted? No, back then I didn't have to corset. Yeah, you didn't have to. Because yeah. I, I was 16, oh. you see. Mm-hmm. I get so much shit. Because I, when I, I, I've had to drive in a corset, like in drag with a thing because Michael doesn't drive and I won't do it anymore. It's li- you just you literally just get paid enough so you can get the Uber. Like, oh my that's god! All. The worst thing is that's like I was so excited and flattered when I started getting invited to like um, TV premieres or film premieres or whatever. And they want you to walk the red carpet and look gorgeous, and you're all corseted and you're in the heels and whatever. And then you have to sit in a seat for however many hours <laughs> yes. with no one looking at you. And it's like if a drag fiend falls in a woods, you know. And it's like it's very like it's it's so painful to sit there and a tree for that long. Oh my god! Well, I do have, I, I do have one last question for you guys that I think I've always kind of. I, I, it's just an interesting topic for me. Like drag race will end someday, and like drag race is a fuel <laughs> oh, for a lot of this. Well, it is. It's a fuel for a lot of you know the obsession with drag, and people think that drag is only coming through drag race when drag comes in lots of different ways, and we all know that. And it's and so I want to know like what. Where do you think drag will go post drag race? Like, where will we be after all of that is said and done? My well, thought and my oh, go ahead, Jeans. <laughs> I'll go first, and then you can have the last word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I I think one of the best things that have happened um, because of drag race is that. Um, people have seen that drag queens are not one type of performer or one type of artist. And I think the most successful queens to come off of drag race are queens who have, um, they're, 
they're passionate and dedicated um, to drag and being a drag artist, but they also have um, another a, another avenue and another arena that they operate within, and they and they coalesce their passion of drag with their passion of being a stand-up comedian or being an actor or a singer or a dancer. Um, a makeup artist, a visual artist. And I think we're showing the world um, now that like drag queens are everything, you know, like we're not just a drag performer, we're a drag, we're drag performers and we're this or that. And so I think, you know, my hope is that we'll just continue on that path. You know, we're seeing drag queens represented in mainstream media a lot more. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the time it's, you know, um, people writing for drag queens who aren't drag queens themselves. So you get a lot of drag queens playing cameos on TV shows and they're there to deliver a catchphrase and then walk off, you know? <laughs> and and what I feel so passionate about with um, the movie that Dale and I created is that it's very much for us, by us, for our community. And I think that's, you know, that's how we're going to move forward with drag as an art form. You know, my favorite TV shows, um, like Broad City. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. Um, Once or it, twice. What, <laughs> what I love. Who's in about, that? I don't know who's <laughs> in that. What I love about um, so much TV that's being made um, these days is that it's um, a lot of TV is being generated by the stars writing their own material, creating it for themselves and putting it out into the world and then it gets picked up in a bigger way. And that's kind of my fantasy for Dela and I. I'm like, it's time for us to start writing all our own stuff and producing all our own stuff until people see like, this is what they want to be watching. <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. And I think we're seeing so much more of that too with artists who are just like done waiting around for somebody to figure out yes. what, they're, what they're good at and what's special about what they need to put into the world and just doing it themselves. And then that's... Yes really paying off, um, which I think is so incredibly inspiring, you know, and in terms of, Elliot, what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, sort of drag queens being able to adapt to kind of COVID times. I mean, I really think that drag queens are kind of uniquely equipped for that sort of thing. I mean, doing drag and like the art of drag comes out of adversity and oppression and, you know, these, these artists figure out how to make the best of adverse circumstances. And that's been true since for a very long Thanks, time. Guys. And I think if anything, yeah. um, you know, it's so amazing that we have this boom yeah. of drag race, but people ask a, a lot um, about sort of where we see drag heading sort of in a post drag race world. And I really think it's, I mean, I think that, yes, we have this big surgence mm -hmm. of people having their eyes on it, but I don't think at its heart drag has changed a whole lot and I don't think it's going to. Like if we look at what came before and we look at the artists who are already having these booming careers outside of Drag Race, Varela Jean uh. Norman, Coco Peru, Dina Martina, uh, Jackie Beat, don't say that to her face, you'll never hear the end of it. But it's like, <laughs> there's, you know, there's so many um, queens who just had this drive and this talent and I, I think that that's going to continue and it's yeah. a diverse array of individuals and, and I think that you know, we'll see the roller coaster go up and down in terms of we saw the we saw it in the '90s where everyone got really right. excited about Rue and Supermodel, and then it went away, and now we're back with Drag Race, and I think it's just going to oh. continue cycling through. But at the heart of it, the artists are always going to be there, creating great work for the audiences that are there with them. Yeah, yeah, and it proves well, now too that also you don't you know just because there's no nightlife happening, that doesn't mean that 
drag and good drag isn't still flourishing in this time mm-hmm. of, like you said, in this bizarre time of adversity. It, I guess it does flourish because everyone is self-generating content in the way that is appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So exactly. anyway, but th- I, sorry, I didn't mean to. I just want to say thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah, we thank you so much. You. Thank you for having us. This we is a stupid question, but it's for everybody else. Where can people follow you? <laughs> <laughs> All my social media is Jinx Monsoon. Um, that's J-I-N-K-X. You got to use the K because I paid extra for it. Um, <laughs> K is very expensive. Um, no, uh, J-I-N-K-X Monsoon, like the natural disaster. Except for Instagram, someone beat me to getting my own name as my handle on Instagram. So oh. I'm the Jinx oh, no. on Instagram, which was a lot of fun when that docu series came out. Um. Oh God! <laughs> but, oh my um, God! Yeah, we're both avid posters about everything we're working on, and um, the film is available at jinxanddela.com, and you can also get the soundtrack. You can purchase it or stream it anywhere you would do that with any other music. <laughs> you can also, um, the film also has its own page on Instagram, uh, the uh at the Jinx and Holiday, oh my gosh, what's our names? Uh, Jinx and De La Holiday special. Um, And you can follow me at Ben De La Creme across platforms because nobody took my name because nobody can spell it correctly. (laughs) Perfect. Even better. Wonderful. Thank you guys guys. so much. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Happy holidays to you. And another thing. So I was reading an article on a blog that you guys would never know of or care about. <laughs> right. Wait, you, now you have to tell us the name. What is the name I've of it? I've talked about it before. Mel Magazine. Okay. All well, right. well, see, that's not, that's actually, I agree with that blog because I've been paid to write for that Whoa. website. Oh, they have good article, quit bragging. But um, yeah. there was an article about uh, like gay, uh, gay, gay, gay people moving to like the country, to rural parts of the country mm, sure. during and, and uh, before, but also specifically because of COVID and people leaving big cities and uh, sure. talking about the idea of metro normativity, uh, this long, I, this long held belief that queerdom and urban, uh, urbanity are, ext- are inextricably linked. Obviously the idea of like right. upward mobility and right. whiteness and queerness all being working together and, uh, so Dan, just to quote, Dan Savage has said, the reality that it's better for queer people in places like Seattle and Chicago and San Francisco and New York, um, even he would argue in Detroit or Cleveland or St. Louis, that is that that it is in some bullshit nothing town in the middle of nowhere. He's, he's saying um, th- that the reality is that that is better than being in the middle of nowhere. There's more to eat. There are more people to have sex with. There are more sure. opportunities to meet different kinds of people, whether you're going to fuck them or not. Um, sure. And I can't say I disagree with that. I, I, I think I think it would be a hard argument to say that. I mean, that's not to say that you can't live a f- great, fantastic, accepted life in small towns. But I think probably yeah. on average, yes, the life would the life that, you know, probably most people generally want to lead would be better in bigger city, cities. And I well, can't wait to get the email from someone saying, how dare you to me for that. I but mean, yeah. especially for queer people. queer people. I mean, there is just yeah. like, uh, there's just, there is literally just like, just the numbers in, in, are in your favor for queer people being, benefiting more from being in a big city in terms of, in terms of law, in terms of safety, in oh, terms of right. just resources. I mean, there's just, they're just, it's a fact in, in the United States. Unfortunately, <laughs> if it's smaller towns, there's one small town that is near where um, Dolly Parton's, uh, what's her, Dolly her, 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 
theme Dollywood. Thank you. Yeah. There's oh. one small town that actually seems fairly, fairly liberal, but only because Dolly Parton is the one saying right. you need to do this because of Dollywood. Right. And that is, the, that is one of the few towns in this country that's actually kind of liberal. Yeah. And that's it. So my question, you know, begin and move there. Well, my question <laughs> is, if you were to leave L.A., uh, where could you realistically imagine moving? Um, well, let's start with you, Elliot, because I can't wait to talk about your <laughs> wait, list. No, we should start with us because his is the funniest. Okay, okay, great. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I am, I'm a big one on like, you know, I, I'm i a big city guy and I don't want to go somewhere where I'm going to tinder my way through the entire town in a day. So places like – recently I've been like really kind of intrigued by Atlanta. I went to Atlanta a couple years ago and I really liked it. Uh, I was just there for like a weekend. But I don't know. I feel like it's really becoming like the hub of the south. And um, it's a great gay city. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Atlanta, D.C., Austin. You know, I love D.C., Austin. Love D.C. Portland. You know, but like big cities, like even when I come back to Ann Arbor, uh, my, you know, wonderful hometown, very progressive, shifted left mm-hmm. in 2020, voted more Democratic. But it's still, you're just like, I can't, like the, the hinge game is fucking weak. And like, you know, you. I like you, how you move places based on Hinge and Tinder. But it, you know, it's That's it's true. It's it. You get you get so um, spoiled. You live in a city where yeah. you know if you don't Hinge all day, it takes you months to go through the entire town. And like that's for sure. As a single guy, it's nice to have that kind of resource and that you know ample number of people nearby. And I come back well, to Ann Arbor. Rep- I, I go through it within a weekend. Yeah, it yeah. represents Sorry. for yeah. you like what you know the possibility and yeah, what yeah. the scope is. It's hopeful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. but I yeah, would I never need, do I'm this, I mean, Sorry, go ahead. Brent and I are the same in not so much the tender and hinge aspect, but in the need for a big city. Like, I mean, I need, I feel safe in a big city. I need, I shop a lot. I do museums a lot. Like, I yeah. love to go to those things like I need that and so for me it's all about like San Francisco Chicago because of family like DC is one of my absolute favorite cities mm. in the world I could just I could be mm. there and just like walk around for days those are it's just so the so good gays in the country I think Oh, I, that's true. They are. I mean, well, except for one. I have a very good friend who's a listener of this podcast who lives in D.C., and he is one of the sweetest gays. But I, there are also very mean gays as well. I, I um, hinged. I hinged in D.C. recently for a couple weeks and just to kind of check check things out. A lot of conservatives. A lot of conservatives. Oh, yeah. I was, oh, yeah. I was I have, really – Surprise. I had my worst, like, like you, know, you guys were, you guys heard about this, the worst sort of like hookup situation ever in DC. Do you remember that? <laughs> that horrible. What happened? Horrible, Didn't he pee on you or horrible. something? What happened? No, 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 no. He like, he like, we, we had this whole like communication for like a year and oh. we had met up before oh, yeah. and then he like bailed. I literally went there, like went oh, there. He bailed year. and it was like. For a year, it was the worst. That happened to me recently. I chatted with a guy for two years on Instagram, and he came into town. This was last year. He came into town and, like, bailed on meeting. Yeah. 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 But, no, I need big cities. Like, I could see myself living in London or something. Like, I need a big city. Yeah, London, Ontario. Great town. Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) Elliot. Elliot's list. I don't know why this is so funny. (laughs) It's it's really funny. I said Westchester, like, upstate New York, just just north of the city. Like, uh, not even Rye. Like, 
uh, uh, Tuckahoe. I love Tuckahoe. I love. You move for the malls. There's a great mall in Tuckahoe. You know, it's just so pretty up there. Oh, it's just That's so nice. Pretty. That makes sense. Yeah. The know. next one is my favorite. What's keep the going. Next one? Keep going. Well, this would be yeah. tough. The Berkshires in. All right. So this. So <laughs> I love the Berkshires. I love that the nature up there is beautiful. The problem is you that, would go insane after two weeks. Well, the problem is that it's gorgeous up there, and everyone is super liberal, and it's all about yeah. like Tanglewood and James Taylor, but. Uh, uh, but the, the problem is that um, it's so Caucasian that I just I yeah. can't. It's that's it's too gross. Well, and there was that alien thing. Watch Unsolved Mysteries. There's a whole alien right. abduction wait, thing wait, that wait. happened there. Right. No, let me tell you what the problem is. Elliot is a guy, you know. God love him with my whole heart and soul. I have I, when I when I get <laughs> access to his phone, my favorite thing to do is always to look at the number of dating apps that he has. And here's a guy I've teased him for years about this, who has so many dating apps that I've never even heard of. Like he has ones I've never even heard of. And so here's a guy, I mean, look, I support you. My dad's favorite place in the them. world is like the Berkshires, I don't use them. but, but, but like if you, uh, supposing you were single, of course, if, if you were to go to the Berkshires, I think you I think you would hinge. You'd probably hinge that area in six hours. It oh, would be yeah. done. No, there's nobody there. I mean, it's there's nobody so there. So it's like it's like you, to me, like that's where well, you and, go to like and die. Would, like that's how I yeah, think of it. That's true. And he would like hinge everyone within an hour, but then be mortified about seeing anyone he got rejected by on hinge. So he wouldn't mm. actually be able to go anywhere in town. Right. Right. He couldn't, he couldn't go to like the lesbian bookshop that he's been like scoping out for for like a week. I yeah. do love it. It is a very sapphic area, and I love like. New England lesbian. It's just like, I love that vibe, you know, but it's just so Caucasian. Mm-hmm. I just can't handle it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. that one's, that one is sort of like on the edge. Vancouver. <laughs> I like Vancouver. Um, Vancouver's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's, I, that's okay. Surprisingly, I, Pittsburgh, I, Pittsburgh's insane to me. I shot a, I, I shot a movie <laughs> in Pittsburgh a couple of years ago and was there for a right. decent amount of time. And I that's really right. liked the vibe. Um, they were, everyone was kind of like gruff, but, I don't know. It still had a very democratic vibe. People were, people were like, it was kind of, it felt a lot like Brooklyn, to be honest. Um, I guess I don't know if I could live there full time, but I had to put it on the list because I do like Pittsburgh. And then the real, uh, the, 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 um, the surprise at the end, because I've actually never been, is Ireland. Um, I would oh. go to Dublin. <laughs> Just in general, Ireland? Yes, because uh. the idea of even like having that much access to like freckles Freckle Jones. Sure, oh and you love God. freckles. You're yes, moving like for your freckles? Fa- your you would live in, in a place <laughs> for freckles. Idea, like the idea of going to Dublin and like <laughs> going out and like being surrounded by just freckles. Wait, but wait, 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 wait. We know, we know. So Elliot, just to give a clue to everyone listening, Elliot, when, when Brent and I, when we are able to go to bars and Elliot sees someone that he's attracted to at a bar, there you could literally be standing in a corner being like, Elliot, I'm dying. Yeah. Please help Someone me. Someone stab me. And Elliot's, uh, Elliot's eyes are still on the person he's obsessed he used with. To, he you cannot he used distract to do. him. He used to point. Like occasionally we would go to bars yeah. in yes. New York and he would point at a guy. He'd be like, oh my God, yeah. look at him. And he look would be at like, him. And the guy's looking away. at us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right, right. Well, I, I mean, so of course, enjoy it's, Dublin. it's a very enjoy endearing Dublin. and adorable thing. And of course, we love you dearly for it as a yes, friend. Love. As love. a friend, love. Elliot. This is why I need to do like a solo trip to Dublin. Well, I was going to say, what a fantastic opening for any of your Irish fans to slide into your DMs with yeah. like pictures of their footlongs or whatever and <laughs> coax you, coax you overseas. 
I would love to go to I would love to go to Dublin, I, you know, for the for I want to see the greenery. But yeah, I would I would go. That would be that'd be my like how Stella got her groove back. <laughs> Dublin. I'll be whoopie. I'll be whoopie. I'll wear the caftans. <laughs> What would your aunt say? Grant, what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? One demographic Trump did better with was me because I voted for him twice. <laughs> Gross. Uh, my aunt Joanne would say, not only is Jinx welcome, tell him to bring Dayla. <laughs> we welcome everyone. Um, how about Aunt Anne? My Aunt Anne would be like, a lot like Jinx, I found out that I'm part French. So I've been saying we to everything for years. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Aunt Anne. And I am Jinx Monsoon.